I'm going to invite you to open your Bible, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to say to you at the outset of my message, my message is not for the faint of heart. I'm just letting you know, not for the faint of heart. Uh, some of you, if you're newer to the faith, newer to the church, you're going to hear it and say, wow, okay. Some of you that have been around in the church for a longer time, you're going to listen to the message today and you're going to say, okay, yeah. But any way you take it, you might want to think about what is being said today and process and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to take it into your heart and put it wherever it needs to go. That's what my prayer is today. So I just give you that heads up. The Apostle Paul went on his first missionary journey, came back home, and then goes back out on his second missionary journey. So we're with Paul now on missionary trip number two. Missionary trip number two, he's going town to town, setting up churches, meeting up with all kinds of people. He meets up with a young man there whose name is Timothy. Timothy opens his heart, opens his life, and he receives Jesus Christ into his life. It was a big day for Timothy. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't want anything to stop right there because he knew if he just prayed and opened his life to Christ and nobody was there to help coach him and, and, and he really wasn't motivated, he might not grow beyond just that stillborn moment. And so he said, I want to help you be able to grow. And so what the Apostle Paul did was he mentored him, or we say very often in the church, he discipled him. And he would say of him in several of the epistles, he is my son in the faith, my true son in the faith, he would say of him, as he helped develop him. Now, they were living in a culture that was not very Christ-friendly it was not Christian affirming. They did not necessarily look out for the believers. So since they're growing up in that kind of culture and Timothy is a young man, the apostle Paul wants to talk to him and says, hey, I want to help you out because as you move forward through your life, it's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it's going to be hard. That could not have been encouraging to Timothy. But when Paul unpacks that, he begins to really speak into his life and he gives him perspective. He gave to him five insights that I believe help us today as we journey through our life in this world that is so crazy and unhinged right now. The first of those insights is this. Remember, crazy and sinful things will happen. Now, Woodrow Kroll has already told us that Timothy is no mere tag-along and the Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand, there are going to be some crazy stuff going down in the world around you. There are some crazy people. So look at what it says to you in verse 2 and says to us in verse 2. People will love themselves. Now, this is not talking about a healthy self-respect. This is talking about an obsession with yourself where your conversation is I, 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 me, me, my, I, I, I. All the time, everything is about you. That's what he's talking about. You're just number one always in every situation of life. <clears throat> and so he says, watch out, there are those kind of people. And there are people who don't understand that money is to help you do life. They will see money as everything in life. Maybe you have that battle, I don't know. And people will be unholy and people will be very ungrateful. Do you know anybody like that? People will be disobedient, listen to verse 2, disobedient to parents, unforgiving and slanderous, no self-control, verses 4 and 5. People are going to be mean. It says here they will be treacherous. 
when I think of treacherous, I think of several things. When you go in and destroy a business right now, just burn it down, that's treacherous. When your life is put on the line, that is treacherous. When they shoot you, that is treacherous. Uh, when they murder a baby in the womb, that is treacherous. When they mur murder a baby coming out of the womb, that is treacherous. He said, there will be people that will be treacherous. He says in verse 5, if you live a godly life, it's a choice. He says, if you live a godly life, if you do, you will be persecuted. Then he goes on and he talks about some more people. Verses 6, 7, and 8, he says there are going to be very immoral people. Very immoral people that are going to be part of society in which we live. It sounds like, it sounds like, it sounds like right now. It just sounds like right now to me. Look at verse 5. People will talk a good game. They will have a form of godliness, but they have no evidence of a godly life. In other words, if they read the scripture, they walk away and forget what it says. They may pray the prayers. They may, they may do the church service, but they don't really walk away being impacted or changed. They never incorporate it into their life. That's what he's talking about. There's no private growth. People will love pleasure more than God, the Bible says. All I've done so far is just tell you the scripture. I haven't really given much of my opinion. This is just your scripture. You've read this before, right? Some of you are looking at me like it's been a while. Didn't know that was in there. <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. He says in verse 5, now we know we're supposed to reach out to people that are lost and not, not following Christ right now. We know that, right? We know we're supposed to reach out. That's a great commission. Can I get a witness in the house somewhere? We're supposed to reach out to the lost, right? Okay, so if we're going to reach out to the lost, we're going to have to interact with the lost. But look what he says here. Of all this list that he has just described to us, look what he says. Stay away from those people. Stay away from those people, he says. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to put on several different pair of glasses today. If you can do that, say yes. yes. All right. They're imaginary glasses, but you can put them on. I want you to think about our political world right now. All right? Don't get a headache. Just think about our political world right now. <laughs> I want you to think about our media. Don't have a heart attack. Just think about our media. I want you to think about your work. You put on those glasses. I want you to think about your college professors. I want you to think about your family. I want you to think about your church in the world in which we live. I want you to think about it just for a minute. Let me read that passage to you from the message that I just talked about and described and highlighted. Here's several verses, verses 1 through 5. Don't be naive. There will be difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, the end, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanders, impulsively wild, savages, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. Oh, man. Somebody's coming to my mind right now, but I've got to let her go. She's in the news a lot, but I'm going to let her go. Addicted to lust and allergic to God. They make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they are animals. Stay clear of these people. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul puts it this way in another writing. To the church of the Corinth, he says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I want you to follow me. I'm not going to have a political service, political rally, but I want you to follow me in several things. Mike Lindell was addicted to drugs a number of years ago. Mike Lindell came radically to Jesus Christ, radically to Jesus Christ. In that transformation that's happened to him, he's also gotten rid of his drug life. Pretty amazing. And I watched his story, have you? I watched his story of testimony of faith, and I said, that man has been transformed. Wow, thank you, Jesus. He's living it, and he means it. That's pretty impressive. We live in a land where you're supposed to be able to express your opinion, whether, whether it's left-wing or right-wing. Am I right? Amen. Isn't that the freedom of speech we're supposed to have? Right? Okay. You're supposed to be able to do it. This guy happens to tend more right, okay? But he lives in America where he should be able to say it whether he's left or right. So what happened is when he spoke up, when he spoke up and said he was for a particular political candidate and he thought this and that and the other about the political candidate, what happened with cancel culture was this. They said you, should, you shouldn't carry his product anymore. And so they began to encourage stores not to carry his products anymore. So when I was developing my message, I asked my wife this week, go find for me my pillow, please. I asked some of the staff, they called store after store and couldn't find it in stock first and couldn't find it being carried second. And I said, don't stop because I don't stop. I said, don't stop. My wife understands how I roll. She helped train me. <laughs> we don't stop. Look around you. We don't stop. So I would have brought mine from my bed, but I didn't want you to see my pillow. <laughs> because my pillow is my pillow. And uh, I, do, I sleep on one every night. I love it. I said, go get that, please. She found one. She called me back and said, this is $40. I said, I don't care. We've got it. Go get it. Let's get it. So she went over to Walmart, Trexler Town, and she found this MyPillow. Now, you can get them online for $29.99. You might get them a long time from now, but you can get them from $29.99. But I wanted to show you this morning. Culture says, culture says, Cancel. Now, you say, okay, Kev, that's crazy. Okay. Let's go out west. Are you out west? If you are, say yes. If you're in Missouri, you're not out west. That's the Midwest. I grew up there. That's not the west. Go out west. Now, if you're out west, say yes. Okay, you're out west. When you go out west... Some of my friends who are pastors, and a number of pastors I don't know, 
have been shut out of their churches and not able to meet for over a year. Then people were told, you can meet in groups, just in general. You can meet in groups, and they've got to be this size. So those sizes are this big. And of churches, it says, well, you all can meet in your groups, in your home, but it's got to be this much. Do you see the disparity? If you do, say yes. yes. That is persecution. That's starting to cross a line. Supreme Court took care of that, thankfully. And may they ever be able to take care of things nobly. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. I started talking cancel culture. Then I started talking freedoms. Let's go north of the border to Canada. I have a lot of friends that are pastoring there. They've been here and I've led conferences and seminar, whatever. Some of them have been here for that. Dr. H. C. Wilson, former general superintendent of our denomination, said, you know, he said, he said, our pastors in Canada can be put in jail for hate speech if they say marriage is not supposed to be, as the Bible says, just between a man and a woman, but instead, you know, if they say it's just that, people that don't believe that, to believe it's, you can be married, same sex, whatever, they can put them in jail and call that hate speech. Did you see what he said? Don't be naive. Don't be naive. There's some difficult days ahead. So how are you supposed to live in this kind of world? How are you supposed to raise up your family in this kind of world? He says, remember, crazy things will happen around you. Now, you might need to write a letter to your congressman. You might need to write a letter to your governor. You might need to write a letter to the president's office. You might, of course, you need to vote. You need to pray. You might need to protest in some way, civilly, but you might need to do some things like that. Those are rights we have, and we should be able to express. But when it comes to our faith, he says this. This is the second thing. Crazy times will happen. Now he says, remember what you've learned. Remember what you've learned. Look at verse 14. Putting into practice the truth that you have learned. Stick with what you have learned and what you have believed to be right in the scriptures, he's saying. Keep focus on the truth of that which you have become convinced of. Remember that which you have been convinced through Christian orthodoxy, he's saying. Remember that which you are convinced of through current Christian examples. Remember that which you are convinced of in your own life experience. When Christ came in and transformed you and renewed your mind, he says, remember that kind of stuff. He says, be encouraged and stay on the path. When I was a young man, my aunts and uncles used to say to me, stick with the stuff, Kev. Stick with the stuff. I still remember them saying that to me. Stick with the stuff. I knew what they meant. I knew what they meant. Stay with Jesus. Stick with the scriptures. Don't forsake going to church. You need to be there. You're going to grow if you're there. I knew what they meant. Stick with the stuff. And guess what I did? I'm standing here today because I stuck with the stuff. I'm still sticking with the stuff. A lot of people get older and think church is just for kids, just for youth. I don't think so. It's for all of us. And we can grow. And we can be made better. Can I get a witness in the house? I want to say something to you that are watching online. Some of you need to watch just online, health reasons. You have legitimate. But some of you have had a shot. And you've got kids sitting around your house. 
You've got masks. What are you waiting for? Your kids need this. They need to see these people. They need to hear those songs. They need to know you care this much. It's time to get back to church. I invite you back. Time to get back. Third, if you're ready to receive it, say yes. He said, remember godly examples. He said, remember what you've learned, but remember godly examples. I want to talk to you that are young people under 100 years old. I want to talk to those of you under 40 just for a second. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to set your sail toward Christ. I want to encourage you to set your sail toward Christ and to not look back. To not look back in your ethics, in your morality, in your kindness, in your generosity, to never look back and to never turn away from Jesus Christ. To continue to believe the scriptures, to stick with your spouse, to stay there for your children. One of the biggest problems we have in America today is that people are leaving the family and then let their kids just raise themselves. It's our biggest scourge, I think, in our, in our, in our nation, in America, I was trying to spit out. It's our biggest problem, in my opinion. Because if we can get the home right, get Jesus in the home, we've got the, we've got the family then. And we've got a possibility of changing our culture. He says, remember the Old Testament prophets. They were godly people, yet they faced adversity. And sometimes I've met up with younger people who seem to have much disrespect for the older generations. Kind of like, ah, they don't matter. Ah, they're not anything. Ah, you know, just something like that. Just kind of almost, almost brushing it off as if the older generation, let me tell you something. We start out as a kid and then we grow as an adult and we mature. And then if we live long enough, we kind of come back to acting like a kid, really. Am I right? You know I'm right. And so I'm headed, you know, over there somewhere. And so, uh, you know, swing sets are more appealing. I did buy a trampoline. So, you know, we kind of come back on that other side, right? And so we start thinking about that. This is what happens. This is what happens. Somewhere in here, whenever we see the generation ahead of us starting to head down that other way, we think they're dumb. We think they have no wisdom. We think they have no life. We think they have nothing to offer to us. Let me say something to you. They may be banging their gums and they may be sitting there twiddling their thumbs But I want to tell you something. There is a lot of wealth of knowledge sitting in them, their chairs that they're sitting in. And if you will allow yourself to sit there and to listen, you're going to learn something. You're going to grow in something. You're going to find out some things that you didn't know. You're going to miss some potholes because you sat there. When I was a young buck starting out in ministry, just married, Pam and I, we were working with Dr. Powers and he was in his 60s and, and he would say to Pam and me, he said, okay, we're having revival services, church every night, guest speaker coming into town, so we're going to have meals at our house every night for a week. We want you both there every night at the table. We'll be there. you be at our house at 4.30. Aye, aye, sir, we'll be there. I'm a young guy, hyper energy, dressed in my Sunday best. Sitting at that table, listening to those people have those conversations, I want to tell you what, she learned how to be a pastor's wife sitting right there, and I learned how to interact with people who are noble and are further along than myself in the ministry. You see, you can learn a whole lot from some people that have been there, done that. Before we built this building, I talked to Dr. Earl Wilson about a general superintendent who ordained me. I talked to him about this building. 
He didn't have to give his approval. I didn't have to ask his approval. I talked to him and he gave me the blessing. I said, if, if the Pope gives me the blessing, we should go forward. He did. We're here. Billy Graham put it this way in his book, <clears throat> Nearing Home. He said, one of the problems with young people today is, not all of them, but a number of them, they have no use for the elderly. <clears throat> when Dr. Powers would say to me, Kevin, we're going to go see Charles Allen. He took in more members in the Methodist church than anybody since John Wesley. I said, yes, sir. He said, we're going over here to the seminary. We're going to hear uh, Lloyd Ogilvy today. Whenever I had the opportunity to go, he said, Kevin, I want you to go with me. We're going to the Billy Graham Crusade, and we're going to the School of Evangelism at the same time. The School of Evangelism daytime and Crusade at nighttime. You'll get to see one of the greatest that the world has ever produced. And he said, we'll be sitting in here, and lo and behold, here comes Billy Graham into a room. And he, he got up like I am to you right now, and he began to talk to us. And I saw one of the most humble servants I had ever met in the world. My gracious, God had raised him up. Powerful stuff. Got to go down and meet David Jeremiah and talk with him just a little bit. Different people that I had the privilege of meeting further along. Went down to a, to, a, to a big rally crusade with the Promise Keepers for pastors a few years ago. And Chuck Swindoll got up and preached and basically stood there like he was bored and basically read his message. And I felt the power of God settle in that building until all of us knew we were in the presence. Not of Chuck Swindoll, yes we were, but we were in the presence of Almighty God. Great people. One day, one of my friends, a professor, he said to me, Kevin, how about you ride with me over to meet Leonard Ravenhill? He wrote the book, Why Revival Terries. I said, yes. Yeah. He said, we'll see John Wimber there as well. He was part of the charismatic movement. He said, we'll get to see John Wimber there as well. And I got to meet up. I tell you what, when you get to rub shoulders with people that are further along than you are, who have done more than that. And one day, one of my ultimate highlights was to get to sit down right across the table from George Beverly Shea for a few minutes and talk to him. You talk about a powerful moment. I'm not name dropping. I'm learning from old people. And it helped put me in shape to be able to stand in a moment like this. He said, you've, you've seen the older prophets, but he says this. Your grandmother Lois is a godly woman and she wasn't too tired. Timothy, whenever you were playing video games, she still would interrupt you and play. When you had to go to sports or music or dance or whatever it is, she still, she still influenced you for God. And you remember your mother, 2 Timothy 1 and 5. Your mother Eunice, yep, she's a godly mother, right? Yep, she is. Yep. Remember what she taught you? She taught you the scriptures. He says, remember grandma, remember your mama. He says, don't ever forget them. Now he doesn't mention his dad. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. Bible doesn't say, but, but he would call Timothy his son in the faith. So I guess his dad wasn't a believer. So Paul, he says, basically, you can follow me as I follow Christ, he was saying. This is what I want you to do. So he says, I want you just to come after me. Some of you are the very first generation in your family to even hear a message like this. And I deliver it with love. But some of you, this is a very, very unusual type of, it's like, really, what? And you did not have a godly heritage. I'm going to show you part of my heritage. It's just a part, but it's part of my heritage. This is my mother and I. We were sitting down. This was in uh, 2018. We were sitting down when I was able to go out there. I'm going back in June. She'll turn 90. And so Pam and I are going back for her birthday. And um, she, she's one day older than me. <laughs> she has a birthday on the 1st. I have one on the 2nd of June. So, no, she's older than that. But uh, she'll be 9-0 in uh, June. 
She is an incredible woman, five foot one, loves the Lord, super hyper conscientious, and incredible. But I'm going to tell you what, she and my father, who has been with the Lord since 1995, they taught me so much, and my grandparents Boone and my grandmother Federhoff, they taught me so much of who I am today, and the gospel, and the message of the scriptures, and they prayed for me daily. She did not know I was getting this next picture, but this is my heritage. Show that next picture, please. That is my heritage. That's my heritage. She had no idea I was taking that picture. She's one of the few people on the planet I would take a bullet for. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is my heritage. And that's the kind of heritage we can all create. That's my heritage. And Pam has one just like it. That heritage. Put my mama back up there. <clears throat> Thank you. The other day I was coming over to record a message to be sent over to Palmerton to play today, this message. I text my two sisters and my mother. And I said, would you please say a prayer for me? I'm going over to preach. I don't want to say anything I shouldn't. I want to say what I need to. I want to be filled with the Spirit while I preach. Anointed. In just a minute, my phone lit up. My 90-year-old, nearly 90-year-old mother. She said, Kevin, you got a minute? I said, I've got a minute. For you, yes. For the next 56 seconds, we were on the phone. 56 seconds. I timed it because when I got off, I thought, wow. She prayed. She touched down. I came over and preached my head off. I'm going to tell you something. That's what we need. That's what America needs right now. That's what you need. That's what this church needs. It's not all the fancy programs and all that kind of stuff. We need God. And we can have him. And he said to Timothy, remember your godly examples. And some of you, you're the first generation. Start now and start walking. And then he says to him, fourth, I want you to understand this. You need to remember Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15 of our passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love how the apostle brings us back to Christ. He started out with all this gobbledygook going on in the wild, wild world we live in. And he says, I want you to understand something. When it all comes down to what it really comes down to, here's what it comes down to. It comes down to Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to understand salvation is for everybody in all ages, all people, all time. And then he says the fifth thing, and that is this. Remember the scriptures. Remember the scriptures. Pam, come read, if you would, something that was uh, blogged or posted or whatever by uh, her cousin, Dr. Darrell McCarthy. He's our cousin. Uh, he, um, he wrote this. He's a professor that's traveled the world and uh, been in Europe and just everywhere in the world. Read what he wrote. This was yesterday. In April 1521, Martin Luther was summoned to appear before the emperor of the Holy Roman, Charles V. Luther had made political and religious leaders angry by his insistence that we must follow the Bible. They ordered him to renounce his writings and to recant of his heresy of preaching that we are saved simply through faith in Jesus Christ 
and not through our works or through the church. On April the 18th, the room was packed with wealthy nobles, powerful political leaders, suspicious bishops, and angry church officials of all ranks, with the haughty Emperor Charles V sitting on his throne. Luther was summoned to a table where all his books were displayed. He was asked, do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors they contain? Luther was sweating, but he quietly replied in German, not in Latin. That was the language everyone else was using in that meeting. He said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is, to captive, is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand. Mm -hmm. I can do no other. Imagine one humble Christian facing the most powerful institutions in the world, staring at the threat of death and banishment from the church he loved and has given his life for. Here I stand. This moment, 500 years ago today, this act of courage, this act of faith, this absolute commitment to the inerrant word of God changed the whole world, and it changed life as we know mm -hmm. it today. Today we face new challenges. Let us, too, be men and women of courage who will not be cowed into silence or submission by the shrill voices of secularism or the permissiveness of an academic evangelicalism or the virtue signaling of social justice warriors or the stifling of the cancel culture. Let us stand confident that the word of God is still true and trustworthy, that Christ calls all of us to repentance for our sins, to trust in Christ alone for our salvation and not in anything we have done. Jesus invites us to be filled with the Holy Spirit for a life of holiness and service. Thanks for reading up. The New Living Translation puts verse 15 through 17 this way as we remember the scriptures. Paul says to Timothy, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's why we need to read it. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us when we are right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. With this, I land my message. Carrie Underwood, a few years back, had a fantastic song, Don't Forget to Remember Me. And if you heard that song that she sang, it was about a young adult leaving home. And as the young adult was getting ready to leave home, the mom gave three things. What would you give your child if they're leaving home? Cookies, quilt from grandma, what would you give to them? Those things aren't bad, but here's what Don't Forget to Remember Me said. Her mother stuck a $50 bill in the ashtray. I would think the girl would appreciate that. She gave her a road map in case she got lost and the GPS wouldn't work. And then she gave her a Bible in case she lost her way. Who are you influencing today? What difference is your life making right now? Father, you have been with us this morning. We have 
thought about the Scriptures, heard about the Scriptures, heard Paul's message to Timothy. We thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind and hope and faith and love. You know what you are about today, and you know how you want to use this, which is your word. I pray that you would remove anything that is not beneficial, and you would help everything that is beneficial to remain. And for what you do for us, we thank you and give you praise. It's in your name and for your cause we gather today. Amen.